0: This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. We got a special episode today. Uh, the guest today is a man named David Allen. He's a friend of mine for, I don't know, two, three decades. I've known him forever since the early 80s. He worked with my father side by side along the Wrangler deal and as well throughout the Goodwrench days. He has a lot of behind the scenes stories that I've never heard. Uh, I've got to talking to David over the last couple of weeks, just checking in on each other, and I thought, man, this would be a great idea to get him to come on here, mm-hmm. tell these stories. I'm hearing them for the first time, and so are you. So you're going to love this. He's got some great stuff, some funny stuff, some real interesting behind-the-scenes things that we never even knew existed. Mike, you haven't heard these stories either. Mike Davis, he's with us today. I have, I can't wait to hear him. I cannot wait. All right, Matthew, you... Have read these emails in the notes, and you can vouch that these stories are legit.
1: Oh, yeah, and they are good. I can't All wait. Right.
0: Leah, you're here with us today again. We're going to be doing an Ask Junior Live later on our YouTube channel uh, presented by Xfinity, so looking forward to that. All right, y'all, let's get the show started.
2: But Mark Dale Earnhardt in car number two starting 10th as a rookie to watch in this race.
0: Then he come up there and try to spin me out twice. I didn't
3: take it. He gave him a thrill. Earnhardt has done it. Earnhardt has won again in 1987.
0: Everybody does such a great job of supporting you all the time and you you win the race and get all the credit, get all the glory, but there's a lot of people behind me and a lot of people behind these guys work on this race car and win this championship. All right, everybody. This is the guest I'm really excited about. Um, let me talk to, uh, let's talk to David Allen. David Allen uh, is here with us today. And, David, I want you to uh, – I'm going to sort of explain how I met you and who you were to me. And you can give us a little more professional explanation of your relationship with my dad and, and, and your working relationship with him as well. But I remember being a little boy back in the very early 1980s. Dad had a sponsorship, Wrangler, that everybody's familiar with. In my mind, you worked for Bluebell or a company that was hired by Wrangler uh, to be the PR firm or you own the PR firm that would manage Dad at the racetrack, the motorsports side uh, of of this. You were you were you were uh, what people might know as my Mike Davis or or uh, J.R. Rhodes to to Dale Earnhardt. And I remember going to uh, we went to Blue Bell one time. I'm a little boy. I didn't get to go to a lot of these things with Dad. He didn't drag me around during the day too much but he took me to your office. I don't know what y'all were going to talk about some business, just, you know, normal stuff. But, uh, I remember, uh, you took some, uh, boxing, uh, uh, clear boxing tape It's probably about four or five inches wide, clear tape. And you pulled off about a 10 inch piece of this tape and, and welded it together, um, and stuck it together. And you handed it to me when we first got there. And said, hey, if you can get that apart, I'll give you 20 bucks. So I'm you know, the whole turn 20 minutes, you and dad are talking. I'm sitting there trying to get this thing tape apart, and I'm working my guts out trying to peel this apart. Don't want that 20 bucks. So bad. And I got it apart, right? And I think you gave me the 20 bucks. Lesson learned though, once I became a father, I realized that you really just gave me that piece of tape to keep me busy. So that <laughs> you and dad could handle yeah. the conversation you all needed to handle because I was I was like any other kid around that time probably eight ten twelve years old annoying as heck, but uh, that was my first real interaction with you and I got to know you as a guy that my dad really really trusted and um, you you kind of you know helped guide him uh, in a lot of ways on the business side the sponsorship PR side uh, for many years and even beyond that you just. Remained a friend, a friend of me, a friend of my sister, and the reason why you're on this show is because you just literally just reached out uh, to say hello and check in, and I said, you know what? I think you'd be great on this podcast because I'm sure you got some yeah. stories about Dad that I'd never even heard, and you do. So we we asked you to put together some notes. You've 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 come onto the show. I haven't. Read any of these notes, all right? You emailed them to me, and I said, "You know what? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read this. I want to, I want to hear this for the first time right now." Mike Davis made the same decision, so we're gonna have Matthew sort of choreograph the conversation, help steer us where we need to go. But going back to your relationship with Dad, David, uh, t- tell me, uh, you know, more about that, and and give us a real good rundown of of uh, how that all worked out.
3: Okay. Well, I thanks. It's great to see you. Um, yes, sir. All of you guys. Uh, so in uh, 1980, I'm working for the Pro Rodeo Cowboys in Colorado Springs, and I get an interview with uh, some new guys from R.J. Reynolds that had moved over to Wrangler to take over uh, running that company. And I knew them from interaction with Rodeo. And so I interviewed for the job, and they hired me to come to Wrangler in the beginning to start a rodeo marketing program. And well, the ironic part is I'm sitting in Colorado Springs in 1980 on Thanksgiving Day, or not th- but late November, and I'm watching a NASCAR race because it was storming outside. We couldn't go anywhere. And there's this young guy racing, Cale Yarborough, for the championship. As I remember, it was a long time ago. And I think it was Ontario when I might not be right. Yeah. And he had to finish so high in this race and he was going to win his first championship. And the guy's like 28, 29 years old. What was your dad? And three months later, I'm hanging out with him a little bit because I've gone to <laughs> Wrangler and it was so weird. And he just, what a small world, but, So I began at Wrangler in rodeo. I was there about a year and a half and I got promoted to run or manage all of their special events, which was NASCAR was one of them. So that's how I started. So in the very beginning I was a Wrangler staff and I was responsible for their sponsorship uh, interactions and whatnot. Um, And then later on, obviously with GoodWrench, then I was hired by GoodWrench and my firm was to, uh, manage uh, their sponsorships of Dale, and yourself, and Schrader, and uh, Hornaday, Skinner, um, I mean, we had quite a little stable of teams going at that time, but anyway, my beginning was with Wrangler, I started with this guy, Dale Earnhardt, who'd have, who'd have thought, I mean, I yeah. grew up in the Black Hills of South Dakota, I'd never seen a race in my life, except kids in my senior class drag stripping out on strawberry hill or something, you know, I didn't know anything about racing, but there I was with Dale. And I mean, it was quite the ride. It was unbelievable. And, and everything I have today, I would say is directly or indirectly related to my time with Dale and Richard. It's just incredible.
2: David, when did you actually meet Dale and what was that first meeting like?
3: So I remember uh, I was just doing the rodeo program, but the guys on the race uh, team um, and the guys that were doing the race marketing for Wrangler said, well, why don't you come to, and I think it was Charlotte. Okay. And uh, they said, come on down to Charlotte. We'll set you up with credentials and, you know, just come on down for the weekend. So that's great. So I go down there. I don't have a clue where to go sign up for garage passes or I don't know anything about that. I had a box of Wrangler racing hats in the back seat of my car when I went down there. True story, I used those hats to bribe my way Absolutely. to the garage area. I mean, nowadays you'd have to have – a note from the FBI, but in <laughs> those days, I literally to a, a highway patrolman, yes. to a, two or three a rent-a, cops. I got all the way to the garage area, and I found um, Dale. Or remember Bob Janelle, who was on the the racing marketing program, and, and he took me and got the garage. But, but so that was that was mid eighty one. So it would have been the May race of eighty one. Okay. When I first met Dale, and of course you know he is you know he had just won a championship and and uh he was he was kind of wild and reckless at that time you, you know i mean he was his his star was starting to shine and uh he was friendly, but he wasn't real warm and fuzzy and well, that was okay I didn't expect it you know but um we, we got along pretty well, pretty fast, just because both of us kind of cut to the chase and, uh, and there wasn't a lot of BS in, involved and whatnot. But um, that, that was my very first experience with racing and, and ever meeting Dale. I remember that.
0: The race you watched in, in, in Ontario was the first race where Wrangler was on the side of Dad's race That's car. That's correct. That's and, right. Yeah. In 1981, so you met him around May before he went from Osterlin. Uh, which was bought by J.D. Stacy over to Richard Childers, and that was a really tumultuous or difficult time for Dad. Um, J.D. Stacy comes in, buys the race team out from Osterlin Dad has really felt comfortable at Osterlin's and uh, but but Rod was getting out of the the, the business, and uh, J.D. Stacy had been in NASCAR for a few years, and had uh, Neil Bonnet drove for J.D. Stacy for a period of time. And I believe uh, it is Neil Bonnet who tipped dad off that this might not be a great relationship or, or a situation for dad. And in a relatively short time, dad had organized an out uh, to leave JD Stacy and go over and drive her at your children's car at the middle of the year. Do you remember um, sort of how that was going down and, and what, what um what if anything about that that you remember?
3: Well, so yeah, I, I ended up in some of the, the fallout of that as it turned out. So you're right, he started the year with Osterlin and Osterlin was a, a in construction or development or something like that as I remember. And something happened in his business and he had to sell the team and and get out for business reasons or whatever it was. And Stacy, I believe, was uh, owned a bunch of coal mines or something like that. And he had quite a bit of money for those days and was way ahead of the curve and there's multiple teams. And, you know, he wanted to have this six pack of drivers. Uh, and so he had your dad and I do believe Neil was there for a while. And then he got Richmond, he got Tim in a car. And right about the time Tim got in one of the cars and your dad was not liking it at all. As I remember, he, he, he didn't want to be part of any multiple thing. And so, I think that was about the time Junior Johnson had been talking with Richard and telling Richard, look, you need to make the move now to be a team owner while you're still relevant in the sport and and you're at this point. This would be a great time for you to make a move, start uh, as a team owner, get somebody else in your car, et cetera, et cetera. And so your dad went there, I think, probably for about the last – half dozen races of that year and at the end of that year Richard came back to your dad and said we're not ready for somebody like you we're we're just can't put the equipment under you you need to go get in somebody's car that's in long story short he got in the 15 and drove for Bud uh, which Bud was running Fords and, and, you know, Bud Moore had a long legacy and a great and Benny had been in the car the year before. And uh, so he got in, I think that's probably what 82, 83, something like that. Mm-hmm. And that's about when I came in to being involved in the racing from the uh, Wrangler's point of view uh, from work And so, you know, things took off, and you know, we're sponsoring your dad, he's in the 15. He uh they had a hard time as well putting cars under him to finish races. I mean, they would either run really well and finish high or they'd blow up fast and 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 fall out or whatever. And it was a very frustrating time, I remember, for your dad. And so the second year in 83. It's when I remember him calling me, oh, it was before the uh, April Talladega race and saying, we need to talk. I was like, oh this can't be good. And uh, I said, okay. So I went down and met with him, and he's like, this is just not working. It's, it's. I'm frustrated. I don't want to lose Wrangler. He recognized early on, because Wrangler was one of the first sponsors non-endemic sponsors to come into the sport, you know, that weren't in the automobile business or whatever. And it was like a big deal. He did not want to lose them. They had their ad campaign, one tough customer built around him. He couldn't have been a better representative for that. And he did not want to lose them. And I said, well, let's uh, get you with my boss who was head of of advertising um, uh, Mike McAllister was his name. I said, we're going to be in Talladega. Let's sit down at some point in time during that race and let's talk. And so we did, uh, I'll never forget sitting under the grandstands in a rental car, uh, at Talladega, something was going on on the track and your dad was free. So I guess he and I and McAllister alone sitting in there. And your dad just pled his case for about 45 minutes about, I know we can do better. I know. And then, and, and, cause your dad was getting a lot of media at that time about, he was a one hit wonder and this guy's way too rough around the edges and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like, you know, he's never going to make it long term And, and uh, he didn't like it. I know he didn't like it, but he didn't want it to take Wrangler down. He didn't want to lose that because he saw the big picture with that. And I'll never forget him saying, and I can just hear his words specifically. He turned and looked at Mike and he said, this is racing. It's a race. I'm here to race. He said, I don't know why they keep criticizing me. You're supposed to race. I mean, it just wasn't in his nature to run eighth or 10th or wait till the last 25 laps or whatnot he was here to race and that's what motivated him and I could just see the passion in him and and so that put everything into motion to go back to RCR which is what the game plan became and it's like okay I'm gonna go back to Richard he'd been running Ricky Rudd for uh two years in the in the uh three and so you know that was gonna be the next play but Wrangler had two years left with a contract with Bud and so now what do we do well first <laughs> thing we have to do we got to tell Bud and you know that we wanted your dad to tell Bud and he didn't <laughs> want to tell Bud very bad <laughs> because he really liked bud i mean bud was like i think kind of like a big brother or a dad to him and in many ways those first years he was really good for your dad and 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 everybody respected bud but i remember it going on for a little while and a couple weeks and he hadn't told bud well i'm starting to get hammered by the um executives at wrangler like Hey, what's going on here? We got to tell Bud. We got to move. We got to, you know, these guys were used to the business world, and we got to move. We got to go here, and I'm like, uh, Dale's handling it. He said he's talking to him. So, and then I'd go get a hold of Dale and go, Hey, what, where are you at? And I'll handle it. I'll handle it. It's like okay, and you know, he uh, he he wasn't great to you. Couldn't pressure your dad very well. I mean, I don't know if you ever knew that, but you, um. <laughs> it just went on too long. And the president of the company, Bob O'Dear, caught me in the hallway and said, what are you guys doing with Bud? And I'm like, well, Dale's going to talk to you. He said, yeah, you've been telling me that for a month. He said, if that doesn't happen by the end of this week, you're going to Spartanburg and you're going to tell Bud. And I'm like, okay. All right. Well, so we didn't have cell phones a lot or all that stuff. And of course your dad's clearing land at what is now DEI and you know, where they ended up living and that was his escape and he's on the Caterpillar and he's doing whatever you could never reach him. And then I'd get him at night, but if you got him very late after dinner, he was in that recliner at the lake house sound asleep. And (laughs) there was no conversations when he was like, yeah, right. Okay. And that was it. I mean, it, it just what wasn't happening. So I had to get in the car and drive to Spartanburg. I remember stopping Ooh. at a payphone, which nobody uses those nowadays. And I stopped at a payphone to try your dad one more time. No luck.
0: Oh wow. God. Yeah.
3: So I get to Spartanburg and I walk in, I'm unannounced. Well, Bud knows this isn't a social call. And I said, I need to talk to you. And we go in his back office and I said, I, I just need to let you know that um, we're going to be making a switch at the end of the year, and Dale's going to get in the three, and we need to work out with you what – and, you know, after he vented for a while, and that goddamn boy, that boy, that boy. I mean, you know, he was frustrated, but he also, I think, in Bud's heart, understood that your dad needed to go somewhere else because it just wasn't working. And so now it's decided and everything's out in the open. He's getting into three. So now what do we do with the 15? Cause we got two years left on the car and there were no two car teams in those days and whatnot that I remember. Um, and I was really close with Tim Richmond and, and, uh, Tim was, you know, right around your dad's age and he was a stud or becoming one. And, uh, he knew that your dad was getting in the three. Well, he wanted in that 15 because he wanted to be in the second Wrangler car and we could be marketing together and it would have been awesome. It would have been
0: incredible. Yeah. It would Oh,
3: it would But unbeknownst to us, uh, the president of Wrangler had some type of social relationship with Carolyn Rudd who was Ricky's sister. And she was in marketing. She had her own firm. She brought Tide into the sport and she was a very bright lady, very smart, savvy. And long story short, Ricky got that ride, which turned out to be fine. I mean, I love Ricky. He's a great guy. He was all class, but we didn't get Richmond in the car and you know, that's how all that went down.
0: Yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, to imagine, Tim Richmond going into that car and how that would have changed things. We had Ricky on the show. I watched. And Ricky was – yeah, he was – I I had no idea how much that had bothered Ricky that dad went in and kind of pried him out of the three car. Um, Ricky had this uh, feeling in his heart that he had helped Richard get to the point to where they were competitive, and dad came in there and just stole it from him. Yeah. And he was relegated, in a sense, to the 15 car. And I think he took that uh, and used it. Uh, now, thinking back uh, to those races that dad had with Ricky while Ricky was driving for Bud, it makes a lot of sense because there was a lot of aggression there that, that continued uh, even into the 90s when Ricky was driving the 26 Quaker State oh. car. Now, all that sort of makes a lot more sense. Yeah. Rick, Ricky was pretty upset.
3: The Wilkesboro race cost your dad the eighth championship. I'm convinced. Oh, yeah. if, oh, if yeah. he hadn't have been so hard headed and would have just let Ricky go, and he, run, I think he was going to run second.
0: Second. Yeah. Yeah. He ended up losing
2: a ton, chunk of points yeah. that day. David, I, I only have a million questions, so I, I'm going to try to get to them one at a time. You have just unpacked a lot there. So let me see if I can prioritize. Yeah. First of all, for contextual purposes, who was it that decided to sponsor? Dale in the first place were you the advocate to Wrangler or did Wrangler come to you and said we want to sponsor Dale because I and the reason I'm asking that question is because I'm trying to see whose butt was on the line when things were starting to unravel a little bit and 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 when you guys were waiting answers who was the one that had the the success of this partnership kind of on their on the record for
3: them so back to uh 1980 Wrangler had gone and hired two uh, gentlemen from R.J. Reynolds who were um, two of the driving forces that created the Winston Cup and got Winston set up in racing and all these other special events. And it was Bob O'Dear and Jack Watson. And those two guys, especially Jack, who came to Wrangler as VP of advertising at that time. Jack was the one, he was Ralph Seagraves' boss at at R.J. Reynolds. R.J., yeah. And so Jack was very well aware of who Dale was and what, you know, he was an up-and-coming guy, and, and he was, uh, you know, he was a diamond in the rough. And Jack's the one that really okay. made that decision in the beginning, and that was – about a year before I got there because Dale was already driving for Wrangler when I got okay.
2: there. Okay, that, that's good to know. Because So now when we've got this uh, situation where you guys the, – the visualization of you guys in a car and Dale unhappy is, uh, is amazing. I've never heard that in my life, uh, and that's, that's something. So why was Dale stalling? What- why could he not – was he literally just like – was that, that conversation just so tough? with bud Moore,
3: yeah i believe he couldn't do it i believe so he just did not i don't i believe he did not want to hurt bud and didn't because bud was a great guy i mean he was he was you know world war ii veteran and all that bud was tough enough to take it but he was just a great guy he was a genuine gentleman everybody loved him and uh, yeah i believe that because It just kept going on. I'd I'd asked Dale at the track, have you talked to Bud? No, I got it. I handle it. I'll handle it. If he told you I'll handle it, you better just drop it and let it go because he didn't want to discuss it anymore. Like, okay,
2: all right. Oh, trust me. I I mean, like when you're talking about that, it seems to me like uh, you telling Dale Earnhardt what directions, uh, you know, how we're going to unlock the gate and how okay, you know, those things that everybody that's been on our show told no, this is the way Dale, he, he organized how things were going to work out. And um, so my last oh. question, though, for this, though, David, is what did you want? What, you, you have influence in the matter. You sat in the car with Dale Earnhardt and your boss. R- and you also had a relationship with both Bud and Richard. What, where were you? See, I didn't, I didn't even really know Richard at the time. I knew
3: who he was because oh, Richard was still driving. Bud was the first car owner that I really knew or had any interaction with. I like Bud, but I really liked Dale because you could look at Dale and in, in conversations like we had at Talladega, this guy was motivated. He, you Mm -hmm. can tell, and I'd been around enough rodeo guys and other, other people that he was focused. He was there and he knew why he was there and You know, I was three months older than Dale. So we were the same age. I could relate to what he was doing. I knew at that time I had found out a lot of his background. I mean, here's a guy that never, you know, finished seventh or eighth grade. He, He threw it all out there to do what he wanted to do. And I mean, it's an incredible story.
0: What was his uh, reaction to you going down there and doing that instead of him? What was his reaction?
3: (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, that was that was. uh, So, (laughs) I leave Spartanburg after talking to Bud for however long, and get back in my car, and I'm driving back, and I'm going, Oh God, now, I got to tell Dale (laughs) that I've told him, and I know how that's going to go. So I waited till I got all the way back to Greensboro. And by then, it's probably about seven o'clock or so at night. And I'm hoping that Dale's at the house and whatnot, and
2: in his recliner. <laughs> so yeah, right,
3: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I did get a hold of him. And um, I said, Well, I, I just need to let you know I was down at Spartanburg and I had to tell Bud, David, I told you. And I mean, you know, it was, he was hot, he was mad. And I said, Dale, you just gave me no choice. You kept telling me you were going to do it and you know I got Odear and Watson pounding on me every week I had to do what I was told and you know so it's it's that part's done so he hung up on me as I remember
2: Ooh, hung up on,
3: Oh, I Frosty. probably got almost as many butt chewings as junior did in my time with him. Over here. <laughs> I bet you got more. <laughs> <laughs> I got some severe ones. I know that, but, um, yeah. And I, and I'm pretty sure he called bud right away that night, but I know they talked before the next race, whatever that was. And so man, that night I was like, uh, I think I slipped back into my old college days, and I might have self-medicated with cannabis <laughs> or something. Just to, you know, <laughs> like wow, I can't—you can't make this up. I got, you know, it—it it just there was no wind to it, and, uh, and then wow. I had to let Richmond know he wasn't getting in the car. And
0: oh,
2: how'd that go? Yeah, well, yeah
3: how did that go? He, he wasn't happy, but I mean, he understood. He, you know, I—I I just loved him to death. I. Quite honestly, I think if he would have gotten in that 15 and if, if we could have got him and Dale kind of paired up as a marketing uh, concept and whatnot, the relationship, and they had a good one, but I don't know, man, maybe this is just me dreaming, but I think we could have maybe changed or altered the future of Tim. Uh, but it, you know, because he just he he wandered off the path later on. But um, man, he would have been great for the sport. You had Davy Allison, you had Tim Richmond, you had Dale, and those guys were incredible for the sport at the time. So,
0: yeah, that, I think I don't think it's out of the uh, question to imagine, you know, the possibilities there, David, for Tim. Oh, um, and and I say that because as a little boy, I remember. Um, Dad used to have these lake parties every summer. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, they made T-shirts and gave them out. Um, <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it, was, it was a big deal. You don't, you don't think of Dale Earnhardt like that. Uh, you know, that kind of guy that was um, partying and having fun and making T-shirts and having all his buddies yep. over. And, but he did. And yep. uh, Ricky Rudd and Tim would be there uh, all day hanging yep. out. And uh, so the relationships were genuine and they were real, but uh, they went beyond the racetrack for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I got shot in the back with a Roman candle at one of those parties by your dad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> of course
2: you are. <laughs> oh, okay, okay.
3: You can't go past that. You got to tell us. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Who who, sh- who shot you with a Roman candle? No, Dale did. Oh, of course. Oh, oh man. Yeah, well, yeah. You know, you should have called Bud. I mean, yeah. he had, to, he had yeah. to teach you a lesson. <laughs> oh. so, okay. Hold on. So t- for Tim Richmond, to wander off the path, it means that he had to have been on the path first. So, was he on the path? Was he? Oh, yeah. Had he, had he reached that? All the stuff that we know about Tim Richmond, was that how he was at that time? Well,
3: the Tim that I knew, so he came over from IndyCar. I think he had been rookie of the year at 500 a year before. And I don't remember. That must have been about 83 or 4 or somewhere in there. And the Tim that I got to know, that I came to know, He was very much a fun-loving guy, but he wanted to race, and he wanted to beat Earnhardt. He wanted to beat everybody. I mean, he wanted to win, too. He just had a different style about him. He was a media guy's dream. I mean, you didn't have to dress him up or polish anything. He was just like – so when he would get out of the car during practice sessions and whatnot, he'd go to the press room and hang out. That's what he did. I mean, but he he <laughs> did it for a reason. It wasn't accidental.
0: That's crazy. I mean, he was. The other- you can't imagine guys doing
1: that. Yeah. yeah. So so looking at this story, and I know we spent so much time on it, but it's such a dynamic. It's such an important part of Dale Earnhardt's career trajectory. It changed
3: a lot of history. It did.
1: Yeah. There was there was people although people were kind of down on Dale as far as his over-aggressiveness, there was also a lot of teams that were interested in him. Yep. And I know you and I have have discussed that a little bit. Who are some of these teams that were interested? And, and, and elaborate on that more. Because I, I, I've i heard things about that uh, Americana Hotel up there by Wrangler and <laughs> Junior Johnson, a possibly a ripped-up
3: contract. You've heard too much. <laughs> <laughs> there was some very uh, – clandestine meetings at that hotel that um, T. Wayne Robertson was involved with because, you know, T. Wayne was – he was pulling a lot of strings in the sport at that time. He was my mentor. Um, But Junior was involved. Junior Johnson was definitely involved. Um, uh, I remember –
1: Wanting Dale Earnhardt, correct? Yes,
3: yes, absolutely. Uh, There was talk about, at that time, a two-car team. Uh, and Dale being in one of juniors and and uh, Wrangler just didn't want to go for that at the time,
2: they didn't want to go to Junior Johnson's team, they didn't want to go for a two car team or a two car team like that. It.
3: They they okay. knew they had this commitment to Bud and they got had it. to live it out, but and frankly, Wrangler didn't have the budget for that long term, even <laughs> right, even as cheap as it was then. You know, I mean, they still didn't have those kinds of budgets. I also remember Dale calling me one time and saying, hey, uh, can you come down to the lake? There's somebody I'd like to sit with and have you talk to about, you know, a a new team cropping up and whatnot. And I'm, you know, I I don't know all these players and whatnot, but I went down there and we sat and there's this uh, young executive guy who Dale obviously knew him. And we're sitting out. I remember sitting out on uh, on the uh, kind of the back deck there of the lake and looking around and whatnot. And this guy's pitching his case for a brand new team that he wanted to start up and he wanted to build it around Dale. And and it was Rick Hendricks.
2: Ah, and oh
3: wow, yeah. At that time, Rick wasn't, as I remember, wasn't even a, a, a team owner, or maybe he toyed with it a little or something, but. Um, so, that yes, there was a lot of interest in Dale. Uh, Junior was, besides Richard, Junior was probably the front runner. But it was ironic because Junior was the same one that was pushing Richard to be a team owner, and, and I know Junior was a real mentor to Richard becoming a team owner at that time. Wow. So,
1: Which, ironically, I think he brought, did, didn't, once the, the deal kind of went away with Wrangler and Junior, from what I've heard, it was Junior that steered. Yes,
0: Richard very, and, and
3: Yeah, he very much said, "Get with Richard; he'll do it right. He's a okay. good, you know, he's solid." And you're, yes, you're absolutely right.
2: Yeah. Wow, that's Dang. that's interesting about Junior Johnson. I mean, like that takes a man to do that. I mean, like not, not a lot of people would miss out. You know, miss out. It's like missing out on the hot girl. And then just give, you know, and then when, when she didn't pick you, then say, well, you know who you should go? My buddy over here. Well, they were that close I mean, to being, it
1: was that close to being Dale Earnhardt uh, and was, Junior Johnson, right? It was yeah,
3: close. But... It was very close. And Junior and T. Wayne, like I said, they were really pulling a lot of strings in the sport, uh, especially from the marketing side and all of that. Obviously, the Frances were running the sport, but from the marketing side of it, T Wayne and junior were connected at the hip and yeah, it was an interesting time. And man, this, I'm all brand new at this time coming in from a rodeo program. I'm like, what the heck? I don't who's on first, you know? And yeah, but looking back, you can see how it altered. So, I mean, things could have gone a lot of different ways and who knows,
2: can I ask one more thing, just to make this one one bit more complicated, as far as all this? When did had you already started working with Willie Nelson, and when did Willie Nelson become part <laughs> of the uh, the marketing campaign? Because Willie and Dale, and I guess Richard, right? Right. Had, and and I believe you even might have toured with Willie Nelson he was a wrangler guy in the early 80s right i that
3: was my pro i did i did initiate that but that didn't come until till later well about a year later or so i'm going to say 85 or so okay something like that okay that came along and so yeah we that was interesting because dale didn't really like like willie in the in the in the in the beginning he was
0: <laughs>
3: what? Have, well really? i i don't know I don't know what it was. I shouldn't say he didn't like him because he never did say that, but he was a little standoffish. And, of course, Richard's right in there like, hey, Willie.
0: What do you – was it, was it because Willie offered him a joint? Well, that did happen. Yes.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that, that did happen, my meaning, but it was ever around Willie that probably yeah. – I, a joint I probably. Willie offered Ted Turner one once and <laughs> – never saw Ted again, so. (laughs) Uh Oh, Oh, man. But we were doing a photo shoot, when it's probably that ad you remember seeing where it's Willie in the middle and Dale. They've all got their hands up, and, and Willie is holding Trigger his guitar. And during that photo shoot, you know, out it came. And, yeah, and, of course, neither one of them, none of us participated at the time because it wasn't, but... Willie didn't care.
0: I didn't stop. What do you think? It, what do you think it was? That dad, you know, didn't, dad and Willie didn't click right, click right away. Cause that was pretty, you know, he clicked with other people. Oh yeah. yeah uh, from the music industry. I
3: think part of it was, I, I, I think your dad was maybe a little apprehensive about, is this going to take a lot of focus off of our race program and mm. whatnot? Because months later, you remember the Ballmans, uh, Ed and Vivian Ballman, and he was uh, chairman of the board of Wrangler. They had a party at their house where they had a bunch of people, and um, your dad and Teresa were there, and Richard and Judy, and Willie was there. And your dad and Willie spent a lot of time just sitting together talking, and it was very casual and was a completely different demeanor. Uh, so I don't know what it was for sure.
2: Yeah. That's pretty interesting. That is interesting.
1: I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you because we got on the topic of some of those things with with everybody in on Dale Earnhardt and then you had Junior and Hodgson and you had all these different right. rides happening things like that. I'd be remiss if I didn't take the time right now to ask you. Americana Hotel did it happen
3: did the contract get ripped up? Myth or fact? As I remember, because I don't think I was in the room at that time, but I think it did happen. Because uh, I, what are we talking about? Yeah, well,
1: yeah, y'all have to give us some more. Supposedly, details. Junior Johnson had a
3: contract. Yes, yes, Junior, as I remember the story, had brought a contract for Wrangler and Dale to sign, and I think it was O'Dear, Bob O'Dear, because he was president of the company, and Bob was very much a type A guy and i yeah i think it just got down to no we're not going to do it and don't this is going nowhere and wow i i did i do believe that's true i never witnessed it but i i heard the same version as you did
2: who, who are y'all saying ripped it up though
3: uh wrangler.
2: Oh, wrangler wrangler ripped it up yeah yeah so it was that
1: close to happening where junior was gonna oh, uh, have Daniel this was and, very uh, our close. team and was coming
3: in yeah this was very close because we were having conversations about it for a couple of weeks before that meeting ever took place. And of course this was, they called it the silly season, you know, and it's kicking up in the summertime in those days, that's when silly season would fire up and rumors are everywhere. Where Dale's going. And, you know, junior was the leading candidate, but Richard, Mr. Cool, Elvis Childress, you know, was sitting there, you know, taking his time and taking his directions from junior and he played it right. And, you know, it ended up to I think the way it was supposed to. Wow.
1: Unbelievable. We have a lot more of these stories to come, but first Dale, Your stories are incredible. Uh, <laughs> they are. And, and you just mentioned Silly Season because that was probably one of the biggest silly seasons. I've already uh, communicated with you. If, you know, Dale and them don't know some of the stories here, and I'm I'm curious to know which ones they know or don't know. Can you tell us about one of the silliest things that happened? It wasn't Silly
3: Season. <laughs> but there's a story about Wonder Woman? Oh, ha. um. Yeah, so Dale's birthday was always around Martinsville, yeah, the April race. That will be coming up here in a week or so. So yeah, and as I remember right, I felt like I owed him a payback for something. I don't know what, but a
2: roman candle in the back. I don't know. Yeah,
3: there's something, and <laughs> I I got a hold of one of those singing telegram places in uh, Greensboro, and I said. <clears throat> what what do you have on your menu there? And I want to embarrass somebody a little. I didn't tell them who or what, but I want to embarrass somebody a little bit. And I don't particularly want somebody that's real attractive even to make it more, <laughs> to make it more embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> the guy said, I got just the thing for you. He said, I got this lady who does a Wonder Woman singing telegram she dresses up in a red and blue costume with a red cape and i said perfect there's i said here's the deal and so i had joe whitlock get her set up with a garage pass so i didn't want my i didn't want him to trace it back to me and,
2: <laughs> and real quick joe whitlock was Dale, dale's pr guy at the time right, right? his That's pr right. Right. okay keep, yeah. keep going yeah and so, Sunday
3: morning, you know, Dale kind of had a ritual, and this is in the days, I'll tell you how long ago, was he wanted to be hung out in his van. He wanted to eat a peanut butter, uh, mayonnaise, and s- banana sandwich, uh, drink a sun top, uh, Yes, and, God! <laughs> and take a nap. And actually, the sandwiches are pretty good. I got to like them. What was that sandwich again? Peanut butter. Tell everybody. Peanut butter, mayonnaise, and banana.
2: Dang, we thought Dale Jr. was weird just with the banana and mayo. Dale Earnhardt took it a whole nother level with the peanut butter. Yeah, one more protein. <laughs> of course. He, he was thinking about nutrients, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah,
3: And then he wanted to take a nap in his van because, you know, everybody drove to those races then. And, and so we had made up a reason why he had to be at the hauler like an hour before the race. And you could hear... I knew when the gal was coming because, and I told him, I said, don't get her there till about an hour before the race starts so that the grandstands wow. and the front stretch are full of race fans. Wow. And here she comes. They walked her right up pit road. And you remember, well, it's probably still the same in Martinsville pit road is, really close to the grandstand.
2: Smack in front of them, yes. And
3: she's got this gigantic array of balloons and a big sash, happy birthday, <laughs> Dale, and and the fans are going ape. And so she gets up there. We had a bunch of the camera guys tipped off. And so she sings to him and does a couple of things and puts the sash on him. And, you know, he was pretty good sport about it. He, he knew what, who had done it. <laughs> and But Teresa was mad. She, ah. <laughs>
2: no.
3: I, 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 I don't
2: a, believe that. <laughs> I,
3: got a, yeah, I got a pretty good butt chewing from her about how unprofessional it was and whatnot. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. And I'm thinking, yeah, but it was really funny. And yeah. So <laughs> the last thing about that is Dale wanders off and everybody and Dick Gazaway, who was the sheriff at that time he ran everything for NASCAR he was the boss he came over there and what the hell who is we don't do that and I'm like man I hear you I don't know what happened I don't know where that
2: (laughs) where did she come Uh, from (laughs) I said Wrangler
3: is so embarrassed we would never do
0: it I got, so I've got, I collect all these pictures of dad and I've seen, Oh, is that it?
2: Oh, is that it?
0: Awesome. Yeah. Look at your group me. I've got all kinds of pictures. Yes.
2: Yes. Uh.
0: Matthew's showing us the picture. That is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. And so I did not, I've seen that picture for years, you know, and, uh, (laughs) I had no idea that – I knew it was his birthday and all that, but I figured in my mind that was happening like after practice on a Friday. That was race day. Wow. I can't believe if you did that to Dale Earnhardt in 1998, he would have not been a good sport. Oh. (laughs) No, 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 no. Wow, he was a good sport.
3: Well, so uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ballman were there, and she loved it. She was the best sport. She was the chairman's wife of ranger and bluebell and she loved Dale and, but she was the best sport about anything. And so she was laughing. Dale had to laugh at the time, but oh, yeah. Teresa was not laughing.
2: It wasn't. Fun. I imagine. So, so what were prank wars like with Dale Earnhardt? I mean, cause you said you had to get him back for something. I mean, did he, did you expect retaliation and things like
0: that?
3: Oh what yeah. What did he do to you ever? Sure. Sure. I probably got it. I don't remember. I mean, um, one of his favorite things to do is just walk up behind you and give you that pinch right under here in the fleshy part of your arm. And I mean, yeah. he didn't let go. He pinched you enough to where it turned green yellow for about two weeks, you know, <laughs> and it, it, he loved that. That was one of his favorite. He just, mm, and just tweak it and hang on. And Yeah.
0: but He was also uh put sardines under the seat of Rusty's race car, yeah. doing stuff like well, that. We used to That's do, pretty rude. We
3: used to do things to Richard Childress. <laughs> Childress loves to be dressed absolutely perfect. That's, he loved that. <laughs> And he would come in, we'd have all these different shirts made for him and they'd be, you know, embroidered with the sponsor's name and all of that. But we always had to get him a variety of colors because he had to have you know he couldn't just have one color. He had to. Well, when he'd come in with a, a new shirt, Dale would be like, "Well, that's a that's an interesting look for you, Richard." And then he'd leave. And while well, <laughs> Richard would stand in there and go, "What's wrong with it? What's with it? and he just jacked with him all the time. He'd put. Uh, hot sauce in his coffee in race morning. <laughs> you know, Richard, Richard came to me one time before a race at uh, Dover, and he's like, man, you got any uh, uh, anything for heartburn? He said, man, I'm tore up this morning. Well, his coffee had probably had, you know, two thimbles full of oh. Tabasco sauce in it by the time he finished it. But it just depended on, you know, Dale would – there was yeah you know there was a couple dales and sometimes when he was in a great mood man it was a lot of fun when he wasn't it wasn't a lot of fun
2: (laughs) (laughs) what would affect his mood the most
3: oh performance on the track how you ran no
2: sound familiar Mike? yes it does i mean it would affect the whole week if we ran like crap dale jr man you're just like god this is gonna be a terrible week yeah. You know, but when we yep. were coming off a good good finish, good win, good whatever, man, it was great week yep. set the tone, boy. We were gonna throw down. Yeah. It's all about the Redskins did that yeah, too. Absolutely. <laughs> now you,
1: you look at times where they were pranking each other, but then and Dale was a good egg. But there's a story you have about a race, I believe it was Dover. Oh, oh
3: yeah.
0: Where
1: <laughs> Dale that. and Omar wasn't too happy and it had nothing to do with the prank but no. Richard Childress was involved too. Oh no, yeah.
3: That. It was the last time we ever did that. I tell you. Um, <laughs> so this is the good wrench days now. Okay. And you know, we always went out of the way to make, because Goodwrench was a great primary sponsor and we wanted them to feel as close and as a part of the team as possible at all times. I mean, I, I think every team tried to do that and so, uh, and we always had some monitors and headsets for them to wear, and they'd be up in the suites, and they could listen to Dale. and what. I don't remember why, but at Dover, for whatever reason, they ended up with one of the actual team radios. That Oh. And I, yeah, sponsor, yeah. Sponsor, uh, up no, in the suite? No headsets, just the radio.
0: Ooh. And they
3: took it to the suite. Oh, yeah, this gets really good. I know where this is going. Uh, and – And uh, so I know that uh, the spotters have a hard time seeing the track from both ends, at least in those days at Dover. So Richard sent me to the to the between one and two and get up in the very top of the grandstands and kind of be the backup set of eyes. And so I'm not in the pits and I'm not down there around everything. Race, start, I'm praying to God nothing happens that I have to get on the radio and say anything because <laughs> you're going to get, you and, and Dover's pretty intense too, obviously. So
1: yes.
3: um, race kicks off. We're going about 100 laps or more, and I don't remember. We weren't running great, but we weren't bad, whatever it was. <clears throat> they come in for a pit. The car changes somehow or another, and it's, I think he was tight because he was on the radio, and Andy was the crew chief at that time, Petrie. Andy Petrie. And Dale's on the, on the radio with him, you know, not liking things. But, you know, he didn't talk a lot when he raced. Race is going on, maybe 150, maybe two. Or it wasn't halfway yet. And all of a sudden, a, a, across our radio channel, it's like we could hear this clinking of glasses and dishes and – and then we can hear two ladies talking about their grandchildren. Wow <laughs> and And then somebody's talking uh, about their an addition on their house, and, uh, yeah, and I mean, yeah, Dale's out there making He's out there smiling on it at Dover of all places. And, man, I mean, Richard. B.S. <laughs> Richard, Richard. I mean, and Richard doesn't know. None of us have a clue. What I thought somebody's ham radio or something bled over on our. You know, I, I've heard that happen before. With, and it goes on for a while while Jr. was in our pits, and he figured out that it was the radio the GM folks took to the suite, and they had keyed the mic open somehow. And, I mean, I'll bet it went on for 50 laps or more.
2: Wow. Oh, cow. man.
3: Oh. oh, Lord. Wow. No. So – They never got another radio, I can tell you
2: No. Uh, so Dale Jr., what was it that used to happen to you at Daytona? It seemed like every time we went there, there was some sort of bleed-over radio. And you just – and I, I don't even remember exactly what they were saying, but it seemed like that the, at Daytona in specifics, that, that you would have that same problem while you were driving.
0: Yeah, the – the um, I don't know who's responsible for it at the time, but the sport got to where they were publishing the radio frequencies of all the teams, right. which is really stupid to get. <laughs> yeah. And so here's all the, here's all the frequencies if you want to know what the, you know, and that allowed anybody that had a two way radio to come on your frequency and communicate. And so they didn't even have to be at the track. This might be somebody, you know, across the street right. or in a neighborhood downtown that had a strong enough signal to, uh, be able to, you know, communicate with you while you're, they they could be watching the race on their TV. And, uh, we had Daytona for like two years and it was not, they wouldn't come on there and talk the entire race. It would just be very rare, but so clear. And it was obvious that they knew that you knew that they were trying to, you know, they weren't part of the team, and they were, they were like, they'd be like, "Hey, Dale, get after it, man," <laughs> <laughs> you know, or "Come on, Junior, get up on the wheel now, buddy, woo," you know. They were just, and to be clear, I, you know, they so, were, so you knew that wasn't pops. <laughs> just I knew that wasn't somebody on our team, but they knew that they were giving themselves away, you know, <laughs> and they played into it. It was so annoying, but there was nothing you could do but ignore it. So if you ignored it, maybe they would assume they're not getting right. through, you know, and they would eventually stop. But there was a there was a race that, like talking about bleeding over, David. We would go to uh, New Hampshire. This happened quite a bit. There were so many frequencies flying through the air. You got TV sending signals yeah. everywhere to people on pit road and camera guys over here and there. Everything's everything's waves and. No, no hardwired stuff. You got people out in the souvenir rigs selling stuff, right. talking on radios, to each other search security guys. I mean, there's just, there's two way radio communication happening all across the racetrack during the race. And it, and it doesn't even involve the race teams. And we would go to New Hampshire and, and people would be talking about the, um, you know, the guys in the souvenir rigs be talking to each other about souvenirs are selling <laughs> and, uh well we've run out of this hat man I don't know we got to run over to the truck and get uh, get another box of them how we're out of those uh, number, zero number two three five six seven eight nine hats uh, I just got a rejected credit card from uh, Jimmy Jamie Bowers Jamie Bowers just card rejects she's trying to you know, it's just random stuff coming over the radio there's nothing you nothing you can do oh, about that man. oh that's
3: I can't imagine trying to focus on driving and it's that's in your
0: you give up. Yeah, you give yeah. up till you you just give up till they figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to ask real quick
2: how the good wrench deal even came about. Like, cause didn't you go you left racing, right, David? You I went did. to Chicago and then you came back in the early nineties. Yep. Wait a minute. Yeah. Um you went to Chicago. What'd you do why'd you leave? So
3: I went to the end of of the run with Wrangler pretty much when, v- when VF bought a out.
0: Vanity Fair and
3: right. And they, uh, when they came in, they offered me a position I could have stayed, but I had to go lay off like 25 people, not because they weren't doing their job. It's just because consolidation that was going away. And man, I just lost all appetite for being around there. And, and, and so that was, uh, 88, 89 right in there. And obviously your, your dad and Richard, they were the Oakland Raiders of the deal by then. I mean, they were hot everywhere we went. They we won. And I mean, 80, I'll never forget 1987 year. It was like magic. Well, I just had decided that's enough of this. I had gone and talked to Richard about, you know, what we really need to do is cause it's going to happen. We need to start a race team needs to have their own in-house marketing. That's what we need to start for you guys. Richard was buying into it. Your dad was like, "Nah, I don't know. I'm, I'm not." So at the time, he wasn't going for. It, so I got a chance to go to a, a, a marketing agency in Chicago, Frankel and Company. They had all these blue chip clients, and I went in and worked in their sports marketing. <clears throat> but I stayed in touch with your dad. This is where McDonald's came from. So. Frankel did all of McDonald's's promotions and marketing. And I got an opportunity at a strategy meeting uh, out of McDonald's to bring up NASCAR, man. NASCAR is perfect for you guys, the demographics. The, and of course, a lot of the people in the room were like, Oh no, you know, you know, they didn't, they weren't into it. Well, and I didn't even know this, the president of, of McDonald's at the time, was a huge race fan. It was Ed Renzi. And he ended up well, being a team owner. Ed over Ren-
2: That Ed Renzi?
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, wow. long story short, we got permission to develop this all-star race team promotion for McDonald's.
0: Yeah, I remember the little baseball yeah. cards and everything. I
3: called your dad immediately and said, hey, if you can do this McDonald's thing, the game's on. He's like, I'm in. So we got him, as I remember, it was him, Mark, and Rusty were the first three. But then you could vote at your McDonald's on next year's all-star race team, and you got souvenir cups, and you got this and that. So that kept me connected with Dale and with Richard from my Wrangler days. And then Richard called me and said, would you come back or be interested in coming back if you – had the good wrench account, I said, "Oh man, I'm there tomorrow if, if if that's the deal." And he said, "I'll get back to you," and and he did. And so I I ended up going right back uh, to Kanapuls, and that's when I got to start uh, Champion Sports Group, which <laughs> handled all of that stuff for. You know, Dale and Richard, and as it turned out, like I said, Hornaday, Skinner. We did Schrader. We did uh, Dale Jr. It it was a blast. What a
2: time. AC Delco, right? You guys had the AC Delco stuff. AC Delco, Papa
3: John's, uh, Napa. Um, Oh, it was quite the time. Yeah. Wow. It, It was quite the
1: time, but it wasn't always smooth. I don't know if these guys know this story because this is a pretty obscure one but tell me about the time where you needed Dale Earnhardt to meet with GM and there was uh well there might have been more important things involved
3: so this was as it turned out this would have been the last renewal contract that Dale and Richard did with GM so it was late late 90s okay and Richard you know, we go to Michigan twice a year. Well, for the uh, first Michigan race, Richard was like, Hey, we're going to be in Michigan in a month or so. I want to have uh, a dinner with the GM folks and Dale and Teresa. And let's talk about this renewal and whatnot. And because, as I remember at that time, they hadn't won a championship in maybe a year or so. And of course that was a huge, uh, dry spell for them in those days. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, Richard was a little concerned about getting renewed and whatnot. And so he said, let's have this dinner let's set it up. So we did, we get the place reserved and we get all the GM execs lined out for, and it was going to be Friday night after qualifying. Well, Bill Lovejoy was the head of GM Goodwrench. He was the, the head guy there. And he was going to be in Europe as I remember in Brussels or somewhere like that, that week all the way up to Thursday. So he said, all right, I'll fly back Thursday night from Europe and we'll meet for a dinner with uh, everybody else Friday night. Well, Dale would never commit to the dinner. He would always be like, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. And Richard's starting to get concerned <laughs> a week or so away from the race. Richard's, and he came to me, and of course, he comes with one of those typical <clears throat> children. So, uh, um, uh, you know, when he clears his throat about three times, you know something's coming. And he's like, well, uh, We need to make sure that we get Dale to that dinner. And I'm like, We? Well, he works for you. He's like, well, I need you to talk to him and just get it confirmed. And like, yeah, all right, okay. So this was a lot like the Bud Moore deal. I have to start talking to Dale, and he's like, yeah, I know about it. Yeah, I know about it. He would always say he knew about it, but he never said he was going to come. So Dale always rented a house not that far from the track at Michigan, but near that house was a big bass fishing pond. So, you know what Dale did when he went up there. So, I'm trying to get Dale to commit, you know, two or three times that week, and he hasn't committed, and Richard's getting antsy. So, Friday morning at the track at Michigan, I'm waiting at the truck for him to come in for first practice, and, you know, I get to jump on him right away about Dale You know, Lovejoy's back. He flew back all night last night. What time should we pick you up? I ain't going. I got something else to do. And I'm like, "Um, you think that's a good idea? And he didn't really want to hear that. But uh, he's like, David, I'll handle it. I got something to do. And I'm like, all right. Well, Richard, um, you know, kind of gets on me during qualifying about – he said that he's not coming. He's not, you know, and I'm like, so I'm in between again, you know, and I'm like, what, you know, I said, all right, I'll ask him one more time after practice, make sure he's not jacking with us or whatever. Um, so practice ends Well, Dale tries to go out the side door of the truck and, <laughs> you know, he's wanting to go to his motor home and get our, or not his motor home, to this house. He did have his motor home there, but he was going to stay at this house because there was fish in there. And so I'm two steps behind him, taking as big a steps as I can. I'm like, Dale, we got to have – you know, you got to be there. I mean, Lovejoy flew all night. I mean, I'm pleading the case. He turns around. I'll never forget. He turns around and squares off and looks at me like Clint Eastwood. He's like, David, I'll handle it. And then he gives you one of those kind of sideways – Dale Earnhardt looks and I'm like okay I'm I'm out I tapped out I'm I'm done I got no more questions from me Well he didn't go to the dinner Richard made up an excuse for him The dinner was fine yeah and we're all, all kind of like mm, you know so the next morning the whole GM contingent is at the track during uh practices and here comes Prince Charming Earnhardt from practice (laughs) and he comes over he's got his arms around each one of them and he's hugging them and he signs everything they want he's laughing with them and they're all like isn't he the greatest and and he's Ah. looking at me like I told you I'd handle it." you know he never said it but he's looking at me like what are you worried about? I got it handled here. And it's like, Oh my God, he got away with it. And he went fishing, you know,
2: and God, my palms were sweaty just listening to that. Oh, I was so yeah. nervous, right? like, I understand yeah. the dilemma. I understand it. This Dennis, is the it's, head it's, guy too. This
3: isn't some regional guy. This is the man. You David, know?
2: David, I, you know, what's coming to my mind on this when, August Bush the 4th used to phone Dale Jr. right before the race. Yeah. Like right before the race. And (laughs) and the Budweiser people are going, Dale's got to take the call. Dale Jr.'s got to take this call. It's August Bush the 4th. I mean, like, this is the big guy. I mean, and we all know that the guy's on his yacht somewhere and he's just wanting to show off to somebody that, hey, I can call Dale Jr. two minutes before he climbs in the car. Yeah, no problem. Watch this. And it was just – and, man, the anxiety that would ratchet up amongst everybody. In the, it, it would, you know, and, you know, and knowing Dale Jr. and these guys, you know, they're trying to get in the zone. They're trying to do – and I, in Dale Earnhardt's I, case, he wants to go fishing. But, man, it's so terrifying when those moments happen.
3: Well, I mean, he was a seven-time champ at the time. He, uh, he knew he – I'm sure he knew he was going to get away with it. But the next week oh. – Wherever we were, I remember him getting me in one of the little headlocks so he could talk in my ear. And he's like, I probably should have gone to that dinner, shouldn't I? (laughs) That was it. And that's probably about as close as he would come to saying, Hey, maybe I'm sorry or whatever, but uh, he got away with it. But yeah, that whole morning when he signed an autograph for me, he's looking over at me like, I got this, you know, I got this, you know, and I'm like, Ew. You put me through all of that. Crap.
0: Talk about that house in Michigan. He stayed there for uh, for a couple of years, and then by the time I started going to Michigan, I think the I can't remember exactly. It was in two thousand. This happened, I believe. Might have been ninety nine for the Xfinity. I was there for the Xfinity race, but I can't remember. We were we were standing that ha- that same house with the with the Bass Lake in the back, um, and it was me, Ty Norris, Steve Park. Tony Jr., Tony Sr., uh, you know, a good handful of people all staying in this place. We've been riding these four wheelers a little bit um, out in the woods and got kind of bored with that. And they had a, they had like this volleyball court, sand volleyball court out next to this, um, this bass pond, big old lake, pretty much. And we got to running them four wheelers around that sand volleyball court. And we actually had ran so much. It was – no, Ty wasn't there yet. Ty was kind of the GM at the time at DEI. We'd ran around this court and, and threw so much sand out that the corners had become banked. <laughs> uh, we dug down – like we had we had removed – we had moved about four foot worth of, of dirt out of this thing and, and shed it off to the sides to where you kind of went around the corner in a bank and it had ruined it this court and Ty walked up and I came around the corner and he was eating slaw out of a bowl and I came around and slung some sand into his bowl <laughs> and he snapped and uh, we spent needless to say we spent the next day fixing the golf the, uh, fixing that little volleyball court uh, back but I remember that house you're talking about and that's what I think about when you talk about tell that story we got in big trouble that day.
3: <laughs> I think I remember hearing about that
0: later. Yeah, it was a big deal. We got <laughs> big, big as I
3: recall. I remember <laughs> hearing about. It.
0: If I had been thirteen, I'd have got the belt. That would have been a belt.
1: <laughs> oh man! Speaking of that, what do you what do you, what do you remember about a, a young Dale Junior.
3: Oh, gosh. Know, in your, in your um So I remember the tape story, and I actually did it twice because. He did it so easy in my office that time. I can't believe the guy <laughs> actually pulled that apart. His money involved? Yeah. So somewhere, at some track, when he would come, and this was Wrangler days, his dad, you know, and I was the sponsor then, so I didn't really work for Dale Sr. at that time, but I worked with him, obviously. But if you were around him, you worked for him. You didn't, that's just how it was. And, uh, but he'd go to practice or whatever, and he'd say, keep an eye on junior. It's like, yeah, right. Of course. Uh, And it was easy to keep an eye on him because he'd always be around Jimmy means garage or pit is where you'd find him. Yeah. But I remember him. He was kind of pestering me or pestering us or something at some place. And so I took duct tape this time and put it together and said, all right, let's see you pull that apart. And and I think I told him, if you can do that, I'll give you a hundred bucks. It was a hundred dollars, and he did it, and I didn't pay him at the time. I think I actually finally paid you at Richard Childress's hall and in, uh, NASCAR induction uh, a couple years ago. Yeah. Gosh,
2: that was just a few years, a years. ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah
3: I, I, did it give you interest? <laughs> no interest. No interest, but I did finally. But <laughs> Dale, Boy, he sat on that one for
2: a long time.
3: Yeah, Dale. I mean, you know, I don't want to embarrass him, but. He wanted to be around his dad. Yeah. What kid didn't, you know, and Dale senior, he was, he was busy racing, but I think there was a part of him just didn't really know how to open up like that. You know, he just didn't, I don't think it happened to him. And so, you know, that's kind of what he knew. And I remember when you got, uh, sent to the military school um, not far from Greensboro. Yeah. Um because I'd see your dad once in a while when he'd come over there and and uh, I remember how that bothered him. And he said, I don't know what else what? to do. And and uh he, he was, you know, but he was trying to race and he was trying to be a dad and um uh, it was it was some it was some tough times. But I remember being around Dale and he was his eyes were always wide open soaking it in he was he was taking it all in and he wasn't a bad kid at all he was he was actually a pretty good kid he just he wanted to be one of the boys he wanted to be around all of that he wanted to be around the race crews and 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 I think most of the guys Will and and Danny and those guys and chocolate I mean obviously we are great out for him and Loved him yeah. to
2: death. Was it, David, you just introduced an element to this military school story that we have never heard. And trust me, we've unpacked this story oh. a lot. <laughs> um, but was Dale Earnhardt conflicted a little bit about sending him to, to military school? Oh, I think so.
3: I mean, I think he was. And, and look, I'm a parent. And, you know, my boys are grown now. But I can relate to you get to a point with a kid like, what am I going to do here? You know what? And And I think. You know, I don't know all the details. I just know that Dale was acting out some, and and Big Dale was like, I don't know what to do with you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm trying to race, and you know, racing was really starting to come around for him this was this was mid '80s, if I remember, or maybe early '80s. I don't remember something like that.
0: You know, I was in yeah. Greensboro,
3: so it had to have been. But uh, I know it was it was frustrating him a little bit, uh, Big yeah. Dale, and and. You know, he didn't know what to do, but he was like, well, "I think this is the best for him." And this is, you know, i remember having that conversation about it. And of course, Kelly, I think, went too at that time, didn't she? Yeah, she did.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> she went about two two weeks. It seemed really short, like after I'd been going. Yeah, me and I, me and Teresa weren't getting along yeah. at all. I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, and me and Teresa had had some pretty bad. Yeah. Arguments that I think dad was at the end of his wrote on what I needed to to mature and um, as bad and as scary as going to military school sounded and as tough as it was the first several weeks to get adjusted to being away from home and around a bunch of strangers. It ended up fixing the problem. So <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah, to be honest with you, it did. It fixed the problem. So I was just talking to Amy about that the other day. I was like, man, when I was in military school, I was, I was, I handled my own mail. You know, I mailed, I mailed my own mail. I, I received it. I, 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 I scheduled my own haircuts. I handled my dry cleaning. You know, I cleaned my, you know, my room had to be a particular way uh you had to have a finger you know two fingers between the toothbrush the toothpaste the comb everything you know everything had to be perfect you had to have two fingers in between every hanger in the closet uh everything had to be facing the same way in the closet um just the details right Uh, of of what you what you had to be responsible for yeah it really helped me a lot so no i'm just
3: gonna say i'm sure it did i i i know all of us kind of felt for both you kids at that time because
0: yeah kelly came because she missed me she seemed to be all about it like she thought she couldn't wait to get out of the house right um i never thought they was gonna send me away
3: knowing kelly she probably ended up running part of the military
0: academy she did yeah Yeah. Yeah. you're damn right (laughs) but david
2: with with all that said and Dale Jr., if you guys had the AC Delco as a client, and and so you must have been very much part of when Dale Jr. got that ride uh, in the uh, Bush Series in, in 97, 98. Uh, wh- what do you remember? That vantage point has always fascinated me, or that story has always fascinated me because Dale Jr. didn't get the courtesy of a heads up that he was about to get in that ride. In fact, I think he pretty much thought he was unemployed and, and probably a life lifelong service station, uh, you know, manager of some sort. But then he gets that ride. You probably have an interesting vantage point from that as well.
3: Well, so, yeah, as I remember, we didn't get much of a heads up either. It was like Dale Sr. just kind of came out of left field at us. If I remember right, this was like fall of the year, maybe September, October-ish. I remember not having a lot of time to like think this out one night and, and Dale senior came and said, um, I think we ought to put Dale jr. In the car. Uh, you'd been done, running down at the beach or somewhere. Uh, and we're like, great. You know, I mean, so we had to go to GM and, and we went to them. They, they were, all, there wasn't much debate about it or anybody uh, that I remember. Cause was Schrader running ac delco races then for us i can't remember
0: we had steve park in the car okay. in 97 okay yep. and he was moving to the new cup car the new pencil car
3: yeah okay okay yeah
1: schrader had been running ac delco i believe in at that exact time in in asa oh, okay all, yeah maybe, pro too. maybe
3: he ran some yeah. right. with ac delco but thank you right yeah i remember dale big dale coming and saying let's put junior in that car and None of it it took all of us by surprise, but you know, we're all like, man, that that could be fun. I mean, marketing, you know, you got senior, junior, uh, let's see what that's like. and so, yeah, so my company got the first assignment of you know, babysitting junior in, uh, and I put uh, Teresa Underdown on him. Perfect. She came out of rodeo, and I knew her well, and she was used to handling cowboys. And,
0: <laughs> and This was your first PR girl, right? Yeah. Is, she yeah. was doing PR. For, right. She
2: worked for you at Champion. Correct. And she was assigned to Dale. Correct. Okay. Well, and,
3: and Senior was like, yeah, I like that. Put her with Junior. I mean, he's like – he'll she she won't take any crap off of him, and she won't – and she didn't, and she – you know, they were fine together, but – she, uh, she was all about, you're gonna, you're gonna follow me, son. And, and as That's I remember, funny. and, and, uh, yeah, mm. but it, it, it was fun.
2: It was fun. You, you saw the marketing potential, but did you have any idea of what, what he brought to the table as far as driving talent? Oh, I'd never
3: seen him turn a lap myself.
0: <laughs>
2: I mean, he'd been racing down at
3: the beach or, or wherever else, maybe Hickory a little or something. I don't hey, remember. He, yeah. He'd
2: run a few Bush races. man. Yeah.
3: But yeah, um uh, and and you know, if if senior wanted you in the car, I mean that was you know, that's kind of where Hornaday came from and and uh, you know yeah. Steve Park and all of that. So yeah, yeah.
0: He had a pretty good track record. Yes, he did. Yeah. And the people I had to trust if, if this is what he wanted to do. Yeah, yeah Teresa. Teresa Underdown was amazing. And um, I I probably made things a lot harder than I should have at times because I I didn't really have it figured out, but um, she was perfect. You know, and and I think that when I think back over my career, uh, the certain people that came into my career at certain times, the insight that, you know, dad and you and other people had uh, to put Teresa in that position and Teresa's you know, personality and her, her professionalism to to steer me the way she did really was a big, big help. Um, I was I, – it could have went so many different ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really could have. And um, putting her in that position was great. So I, I think about that.
3: Yeah, Teresa was a kind of a no-nonsense – I mean, like I said, she'd come out of rodeo, and she'd been around cowboys for a lot. Well, she grew up in Arizona, and she grew up around it, and she just wasn't afraid. And and your dad, I'm pretty sure, just gave her permission to, like, do what you got to do to keep him out of trouble and and get him where he's supposed to be, and, you know, he didn't like to get up in the mornings and blah, blah, blah. No. Yeah. I don't believe that. I know. It's hard to believe, but.
0: Gosh
2: Almighty! Yeah, but, you would be surprised though, David how these days. Dude's up at crack of dawn, man. Get do do. I mean, <laughs> what? you wouldn't believe it.
0: Yeah, I wake up. I'm I'm first up in the mornings. It's right now, yeah, now the
3: whole game changes. So,
0: yeah, I'm. I don't know how I'm doing it here lately with quarantine. I've been going to bed at midnight and getting up at five every day. I don't know what's going on. It's got to. It's got to run its course here soon. I'm gonna just fall out.
3: I'm living in Montana. We've got hardly any of this virus stuff but you know we have to be cautious I mean we got counties that have more cattle than people so yeah. we're pretty rural and and so but I go to bed early and I'm up early so
2: do, do you still watch racing
3: <sighs> you know I, I I watch Daytona Talladega and Bristol and then and I I hate to say it I watch them more because of the track than I do and I I still know of, couple of drivers that are left I don't know much many of them but um it's just not the same for me And it, it for a number of reasons and um I I hate what's going on with the sport I hate the the challenges uh, I've known Steve Phelps a long time I knew him in a whole nother life before this and uh, I like Steve I hope it works out because I love the sport I, I love Mike Helton to death I mean he was a he was a track PR guy and manager when I was cutting my teeth. And so was Eddie Gossage and, and Jeff bird was at you know, I, so I grew up with a lot of those guys, but I sure miss what it was. Um, yeah. Now I sound like an old dinosaur, but
2: well, but the reason I ask you that though, is because you, you know, I, I do think as much as it's changed, a lot of us still, Benefit from the things that you yourself and your teams did in the '80s, in the '90s. Uh, you know, the you know, and I was talking to JR. Rhodes the other day. You know, just the way the the credential the credentialing process, and you talking about hats. You know, hats are like currency in a NASCAR garage. You you picked up that on day one, yeah. right? And and a lot of the ideas and stuff. I, I just it's intriguing to me to hear your perspective on the sport today because so much has changed. Sponsorship climate's changed. The sponsorship model has changed. Yeah. And and yet you brought, you were a sponsor. You were also the mediator between sponsors. You were the mediator between drivers. And I just wonder, you know, wh- what about today's sport do you think that is just the most different that, that you either could or could not even deal with today? You know what I'm saying? I think the personalities
3: are a lot different Today, I think, first of all, they're uh, a lot more polished and I'm not sure that's good and I'm, I'm not putting anybody down for it, but I think that was part of the charm uh, of the sport, certainly in the 80s and 90s is, you know, it, it got tagged as a redneck sport for a long time, but I'd, I'd almost give up a finger for something redneck today. You know, it's too slick, it's too polished. I think, I think it's overthought too much. Um, T Wayne used to say more than anybody, just get in the car and race. He, he used to say they need to go back and make these cars square, make them push a lot of air and make everybody race and be bunched up together. And rate you know, I know it's probably not great for the drivers, but the drivers aren't buying tickets. And um, you know, this TV thing is going to be a whole different world when they have to renew this time, you know, it, it's just going to be different. And I, and I know I'm biased, but Dale was carrying the sport and that's not a put down to anybody else. There was great, you know, Rusty was a big part of it and, and and, and a lot of others, Mark and, and so on. But Dale was carrying that sport for a long time. And, and, I mean, I heard you talk on a couple of other, uh, of your shows about how he, uh, was kind of the, uh, enforcer or the sheriff in the garage area. He was, I mean, between him and Bill Jr., that's where big things happened or didn't happen, or, you know, it was going to do this or going to do that. But he was the sport on the track too. I mean, he was the persona and from February 18 of that year, and I've run into hundreds and hundreds of people over my time since leaving that have said, "I don't think I've watched a race since," or "I, I that's about when I quit watching." It just lost, you know, and it, it just lost something. And there isn't another guy like that right now, and it, the sport really misses that. I think. Yeah,
1: the sport misses it, but there's also you know, things to look back on oh, and the stories that you're telling here are incredible. I remember, Barney, I, I want
3: yeah, if I could just say, I remember Barney Hall telling me one time uh, and this was in Wrangler days. So it was, it would have been in the nineties. And he kind of saw, he said, you'll be able to say someday, we saw the best of this deal. And I mean, it was pretty prophetic looking back now. Uh, I think we did. I mean, it was, it was incredible because we went from doing autograph sessions with dale over at that volusia mall at a jc Penny's when he was signing for store clerks and that was it and to where there would be you know lines clear around a dealership for two three hours wanting to get into it just it changed that much that fast and I was just so stinking lucky to be <laughs> there at the right time. In in man, I, I can't tell you how blessed that I was for that. And it was an incredible time. It really was.
2: Is it easy to talk about Dale Earnhardt? Or does it? It, it, it do you is not do it too much.
3: It is now. It is now. Um, it in in the so when, when that all happened, my job. That From that afternoon on for a while was to go back to Charlotte and start handling stuff. And so it was media calling. And and then it wasn't long after that, I told my wife, because my boys were really little. They were both born in Concord. And I was like, man, uh, well, let me back up. I remember flying home from an appearance with Dale somewhere and and this will tell you about, uh, i remember he, he either talked on the way home or he slept all the way it didn't it, 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 it depended but this one night he was talking and i had my second son had just been born so it must have been 98 or so and he was like david you spend time with those kids he said i didn't do it it's the biggest regret of my life. He said, I, I didn't do it right when my kids were little, and I wish I had. And I'm sure he never told you guys that, but he, he felt it. And that stuck in my head. And when when Dale died, I just it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I got to take these kids home and be around their grandparents. And we moved home. And it, it was because of what he said that he's like, you'll never get it back, and you know I, I you know he regretted it, and and it yeah, that stuck with me, and um, so but talking about him now, yeah, yeah, it certainly time heals a lot of stuff, but uh, it was hard for a while. It was, yeah, yeah. Wow.
2: What a privilege this has been. Uh, um, Dale Jr. texted me the other day or called me, and he said, man, there are stories that David Allen has I have never (laughs) heard, ever heard. All right.
1: On a lighter note, David, we have to get to the popper story.
0: Let's hear it.
3: You can edit out whatever you need, but that's an all-time classic story. I mean, it. (laughs) so we would set Dale's appearance schedule every year in January. And he would, we'd get all the requests from whoever, GM and everybody else. We'd get them in October, November, and we'd say, you got to have him in because he's going to pick where he's going when. And week after New Year's, it happened every year, we'd go to the Deerhead shop, and that's what we did. There was two appearances for GM dealerships, one in Mesquite, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas, and one in Kansas City. And he said, let's do both of those in the same day. He said, let's do Dallas in the afternoon and Kansas city about six o'clock, you know, with his plane, we can make them easy and blah, blah, blah. So we, we schedule it. We go to Mesquite, do the appearance. Everything's great. We jump on the plane and Collier flies us to Kansas city and we land and we're like way early and the dealer had met us and picked us up and uh Dale says man I'm hungry can we get something to eat and he's like yeah he said I know a great steakhouse I know the guy that owns it I'll call him we'll you know so we get over there it's like four o'clock and nobody's there but cooks there they're cooking our steaks as we arrive we get in a couple cold beers there's Probably four or five of us in the group, a couple of dealer guys and uh, Collier. This Mike is pilot, and I can't remember who was flying second seat. But anyway, we're all there and we're having beers. And they bring out this big tray of jalapeno poppers stuffed with cream cheese and some kind of um, mint jelly or something. I mean, they tasted like candy. They were like, <laughs> "Wow, these are awesome!" and Dale's hitting them pretty hard and, you know, enjoying his beer. And he's talking to the dealer and, you know, he was just really laid back and everything was great. So we have dinner and we head over to uh, the next appearance is going to be at a mall and we come to the mall and we go in this side door of the mall and you can see way down to probably six, seven, eight hundred yards or whatever, the crowd that's gathered for the appearance and they're, they're all lined up and waiting, and we're headed down this long hallway, and I'm trying to get a little bit ahead of him just so I can kind of see how everything's laid out and make sure we're not going to get in a trap or something, and we are get about halfway down the hall, and he's like, Brillo, and my nickname was Brillo in those days, and he's like, Brillo, Brillo, and I'm turning around, he's like, come here, and I go back there, and he's trying to talk to me without talking to anybody else. And he's like, I need to find a bathroom. <laughs> and, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. And he, and then he says, now. And he, heavy emphasis on now. And I'm like, whoa, really? And he said, the poppers are working. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and now I get, I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> well, not too far down the hallway before we got to the people, there's one of these mall restrooms and, you know, men and women's side. So we get up there and I've clued one of the dealer guys in on what's up. And, and Dale, we get there and Dale says, you better clear everything out, clear everybody out. And I'm like, yeah. Like, so we go in there and we're like, um, we need all you folks to leave for a minute. We, need to you know, we have no authority to do anything, but we're gonna everybody out of the restroom.
2: We need and everybody
3: to clear, yeah, yeah, and quickly we need you to go. Well, so on their way out, they see who's standing out there waiting to come in, and of course, you know, they know who he is, and so you know we we got everybody out. He goes in. He takes care of the popper issue. And (laughs) he comes back out, and he's got a mini autograph session that he's got to sign before we ever get to the big one. And I'm just freaking out now thinking this is going to hit him again right in the middle of the session or something. But fortunately, it didn't. It hit us on the way back to the airport. We had to make an emergency stop one more time. But uh, oh man, I tell you, I never let him forget that. I laughed so much on the way home about the Popper, the great Popper incident. He's like, I need a restroom now. Now. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Those stories are classic. And and that one right there is one where he, he got out well. Mike yeah, Oh, yeah, yeah. There was another one where he didn't fare so well, <laughs> and that had to do with his Atlanta Braves buddy. Yeah. Why don't you tell uh, Dale and Mike about yeah. that one? So,
3: um, in my Wrangler days, I had met uh, uh, Rick Sutcliffe, who was a pitcher for a lot of years in the bigs, and and mostly with the Cubs. He does ESPN now, and through him, I had met Jody Davis, who was his catcher, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Jody grew up in Dahlonega, Georgia. You know, right down by uh, the Elliots and one. So he's a big race fan, and Jody was all over me about, man, I'd like to go to a race and all that. So I started taking him a few times. He met Dale, and they became big pals. and 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 they ended up deer hunting together a lot. They might have even had a a deer lease together at one time. I'm not sure, but they hunted a lot together. And, Uh, Alabama, Texas, everywhere. Well, there was a, uh, might still be going on. There was a big deer hunting thing that a guy named Jackie Bushman would do down in Montgomery, Alabama um, called uh, Buckmasters. And it, he would invite these celebs, mostly jocks, Bo Jackson went every year and Dale and Jody went a lot. And, uh, country singers would go and whatnot. For whatever reason, Sut got invited to go one year with Dale and Jody. And Sut is the least hunting guy you ever met in your life. I mean, he's he just isn't in uh, a hunter. But he'd go for the good time. He was always up for it. And Rick was one of the biggest pranksters in baseball. The stuff that he did to people is kind of legendary and him and uh um I can't remember the other guy the old time pitcher anyway they go and suts are yeah suts down there with him. First morning out Sut falls asleep in his deer blind and Dale catches him sleeping, scares the crap out of him and messes with him and all of that. Well so the game is on from day one now because Sut's bound and determine he's gonna get back and get even and all that about day three actually after dinner in the evening i think they had jody's truck um they decide they're going to take a few beers and a spotlight and they're going to go out and drive around and scout for deer for the next morning (laughs) so they're out riding around and lord knows what was said i could i would have loved to have heard all the stuff that was said during that trip but they're riding around, and Dale's driving, of course. You didn't dare drive and let him ride because he was a miserable passenger. So you let him drive. And he's driving, and they're tearing around through these old country roads, spotting deer and, you know, drinking beer and whatnot. And, and Dale's like, man, I think we got a flat or a low tire or something. And so they stopped. Sure enough, one of the tires, I think it was a back tire, was low. And so Dale tells Jody, he says, well, get your jack out and get your stuff. And, you know, we'll change it right now. So while Dale and Jody are getting stuff out of the back of the truck, Sut decides he's got to pee from all this beer drinking. And he goes over and he pees all over the tire. They got to (laughs) change. It's dark. And... You know, so Dale got the jack, he's going to change it. So he gets over there and just boom, he's, he's changing and boom, boom. And, you know, five minutes or so, the tires changed and they're throwing the other one in and he's got mud all over his hands. And he's like, where did we get the mud? Where did this mud come from? Cause it, I guess it was a dry, it was really dry. Well, they finally figured out that what Sut had done. And so Dale runs him down and has a handful of the mud and, you know, down his shirt and rubs it all over him. And <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, uh, National Lampoon goes deer hunting with those guys yeah. that trip. But, uh,
0: My gosh. Yeah,
3: he got even with Sut uh, uh, for that thing.
0: I don't know. I don't think I could ever feel like I'd gotten him back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty no, bad. Right. P-mud. <laughs> well, man, David. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, These stories have been great and I appreciate you uh, coming on here and telling us about them and sharing with us some of your, uh, some of your history. And you've been such a great friend to, to me and to Kelly and uh, continue to, you know, as dad said, look after us. You kind of continue to keep an eye on us. And I really, really appreciate that. So uh, you mean a lot to me and uh, hope, I know that everybody that listens to this podcast is going to really enjoy these stories. They're going to have more questions <laughs> probably than answers, but uh, that, that's that's good. That's good. We'll try to answer them for them. But uh, appreciate you, buddy, and I hope you're being well and, and uh, taking care of your family.
3: Well, I am. I got a great, uh, like I said, everything I have is probably because of your dad and Richard. And I just love you guys, you and Kelly and, and Carrie and you guys have all, done so well your dad would be so proud and uh i want you to please tell your grandma martha hello i mean i just love her to death she was she'll only know me by brillo i don't think she ever did know my name (laughs) where did that
0: nickname come from brillo
3: so uh walt garrison who played for the dallas cowboys yeah he's one of my closest friends and it it came from rodeo and we had to go do uh, an appearance thing at Cheyenne Frontier Days. They had a kickoff luncheon with a bunch of people in town. And in those days, I, my hair was really curly and I just didn't comb it. I just kind of let it go. And so I had to. <laughs> I
0: had remember to that. Hello,
3: my head. Yeah. And he got up and said something about Brillo's hair is done by wearing blender or something like that. And, and it just stuck from there. And that's, yeah. Kind of I
0: knew you as Brillo for the first, probably 15, 20 years, but now. Oh yeah. David.
3: I know. I know. There's people <laughs> in. in race. You cut the hair. Well, yeah. And it's getting thinner and, <laughs> <laughs> but listen, this has been awesome. I love you yes, guys sir. and I'm so proud of you and I'm proud of the dad you're becoming and, and, and all of that. So. Yes, sir. Yep.
0: All right. Well, I hope to get, be able to see you in person soon. Yep. And yep, uh, till, I'm,
3: I'm gonna take you on an elk hunt with your bow before I die. So
0: I'm ready. We're doing me it. Me and my bow are ready to go.
3: We're doing it. It's, All right. It's addicting.
0: I'm, I've am i done it one time already. I went with Carrie a couple years ago. You, I know
3: I arranged. I arranged for that place, but I want to take you and and we're, we'll have fun. When I'm taking Will Lynn lately, and uh, it's been a blast. We're having. Hey, I bet
0: that is fun. I'll go with you anytime you want. You let me yeah. know. And you guys, too, whenever you want to go. Michael, We're
3: okay. there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'll go. I've never been elk hunting. Aren't you the president of the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation?
3: I was. For 11 years, I was. I retired. Okay. And, and um, uh, now I'm just living here west of Billings, and I'm hunting and fishing and and watching my kids grow up. So
2: Awesome it's been a privilege thank you so much for coming on our show it has been an honor uh to, to finally get to talk to you and man dale jr wasn't kidding boy you got some stories
3: <laughs> i got some other ones we can tell in the truck somewhere but i would never tell them on stage,
2: so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect all right david thank you so much buddy thank, thank you guys you we'll be in touch
2: Man, hey, Dale Jr. low, Brett Griffin here, and we have hacked onto this podcast to tell y'all to come and listen to the best podcast in NASCAR, Door Bumper Clear. What's up? It's Freddie Craft, and today we discuss Kyle Larson news, team owners threatening to leave, and had our own NASCAR draft.
1: Hey, it's TJ Majors, and you don't want to miss us this week and every week. Listen and subscribe to Door Bumper Clear on all major podcast platforms. All
4: right, Dale, we are good.
0: Hey, everybody, it's Dale Jr. back again uh, with the Dale Jr. Download. This is a live Ask Jr. portion of the show presented by Xfinity. Um, they've been a great partner in NASCAR, supporting our sport in so many different ways. They support this podcast, the Ask Jr. part uh, here on YouTube. So uh, Leah's going to help us uh, cipher through some of your questions. Let's see what you guys got today.
4: Yeah. First question is coming from All Day Sports. Uh, with the NFL draft coming up this week and your beloved Redskins with the number two pick, what do you think they do and what do you want them to do?
0: I think they're going to draft Chase Young, the uh, defensive lineman they want to, you know, everybody thinks is going to go at number two. I think they're going to draft that guy. And I kind of want them to. Uh, we got a defensive minded coach coming in. Uh, Ron is uh you know, probably excited to get a player like that on his team. We've also got a lot of other really talented guys on that defensive line to pair up with, uh, with young. So anyway um, we had a lot of holes in the field. A lot of teams do, but, uh, and it'd be nice to see, you know, what might play out if we were to draft quarterback or something like that, but I think they're going to take young and, and, and see how it goes. I mean, you know, defense wins games, uh, wins championships. I believe that. We've seen in the past some very, very good defensive teams that have sort of a workman's-like offense, not a dominating offense. But we've seen those teams have success and win championships. So if we want to focus on trying to make the defense the best we can and, you know, allow that offense to try to keep, you know, win the games that we can keep them in, Uh, By playing great defense, I think that's a good strategy.
4: Uh, Liam is on YouTube, and he wants to know if you could commentate any other sport. What would it be, and why?
0: If I would commentate any other sport, or want to, I don't think I would. You know, honestly, um, I never looked at commentating as a job or an or something I was going to look into or be interested in. I never was, you know, something. It never was something that crossed my mind. It was drive race cars, and and then. You know we'll see what happens. Um, I sort of admired some of the commentators in racing, and that's what steered the potential or the idea about doing some racing commentary and just to try it out and it worked uh, or it's working so far and so um I never even thought about other sports so i you know football uh, as big as redskins fan as I am, I think that would be the only other area that I might have interest uh or or but I I I couldn't do it well. You know, I don't know the sport as well as a guy who's played it, uh, like Troy Aikman uh, or, or Roger Stahlbach or any of those guys that went into, you know, broadcasting. I wouldn't have the confidence to get in there and do it well. That would be really, really hard to do. I think the fact that I was a driver and I lean on that experience really helps me and gives me the confidence to go into that booth and do that.
4: Jake Wilson wants to know, what did you think about using Twitch for the first time during one of the races?
0: I really enjoyed it, you know, and I've went back and forth with Mike for uh, um, a long time about Twitch and and streaming. And obviously, uh, you know, this is kind of how all that went down. Um, I love technology. I love building computers, fixing computers. If, something about you know something doesn't work i want to know why and i want to get in there and try to remedy the problem and i love the challenge that computers present in that area so i've always kind of liked that and that's what drew me to I, i learned that from sim racing i got into sim racing i had to learn about computers to be a good sim racer i had to learn about upgrading my computer the hardware software staying on top of the latest and greatest and understanding how those things work and being able to install that stuff myself made it so much easier uh, Than to the needing so needing to to ask for help here or take my heart you know my computer to other places I can just do it in my own home, so I really enjoy that I, I like that a lot. And with with quarantine, I needed a project. I needed something that got my hands busy and got my mind busy. And so I dove right into figuring out you know what it is about Twitch. Why do people stream? What is what do people get from streaming? What do they enjoy about it? Uh, what hardware, software is necessary, and I really learned a lot about it. And so I've been stream ready for about two, three weeks. I've gotten overlays, and I've gotten the software and the hardware, and understand kind of how I want. You know, I got my my system kind of set up. I've got a, I got my gaming computer. I've got a streaming computer that I run the signal for the video. Uh, basically, everything the signal from from uh, the gaming computer goes through an NDI network plug in. Uh, So there's no real hardware uh, necessary for that. And I stream from another computer and um, getting the overlays and the design and and all the, all the things that come along with it are fun. Uh, All the other drivers are sort of diving into this at the same time. Maybe some of them have a little more experience than I do, but uh, Garrett Smithley, Lennon Castle, all those guys are streaming even on the uh, IndyCar side, Connor Daly, a lot of those guys stream as well. And so we've, we've obviously been using Stephen Stefan. Uh, As a crew chief, and he streams and has experience with Twitch, Uh, so it's just really kind of been something that I wanted to know about, learn about, understand why people do it, what's what's the return, what's the enjoyment out of it, how to engage with people. Um, I've been ready to stream for a while, but I've just kind of not went live. You know, I just haven't had a had a. I've just not been ready, I guess. But it seemed like a good time, so I fired it up yesterday morning. We ran that qualifying race, the last chance qualifier. Streamed that, and then we streamed the main event. And uh, might stream a little bit more here in the next day or two. So uh, I've enjoyed it. And I've, there's so much to it that I still don't understand. I know a good amount about the software and the hardware and, and how, to, how to put together a package to be stream ready. What I don't know is all the things that are particular and specific to, this, to, the, to the Twitch culture um, emotes and interacting, engaging with fans and chat and all the things that you can provide those people that come to watch your stream and all that engagement that you can create through different things. So I think that's a whole new chapter for me to really open up and learn about and try to find, you know, find out what it is about the stream specific components that make that so much fun for people, uh, you know, that keep them coming back, keep them subscribing and following your channel.
4: We're getting a lot of questions about your little ice cream run yesterday. Um, tell us about that. What kind of ice cream? Did you get ice cream or did you just get ice cream for Amy?
0: Well, um, Amy said to me, she's you know, she said to me, she said, I don't want to cook today. So we're going to go out. I said, you tell me where you want food. I'll get it. We also had put in an order at the grocery store to get, um, you know, pick up our curbside grocery. So that was scheduled for a particular time in the evening. Uh, we decided both that we wanted to eat from fresh chef, which is a place on Brawley school road here in Mooresville. Great place to eat. And uh, we got some food ordered there, pulled up. They were great gloves, masks, everything. We had that stuff as well in the car, uh, but we weren't wearing it. And um, so anyways, they, they hand me the food through the window and, and, and we go on, and we drive up, and we get our uh, go to the grocery store, and we're sitting there, and we pop the hatch, and they put the groceries in the back, and and uh, you know we're, I'd not planned on getting out of the car this entire trip, so I didn't wear shoes. And when I've been outside uh, the house, walking around on the driveway, or playing with Al or downstairs, or you know around the pool, haven't worn shoes. I haven't worn I don't you know I'm a, I got an excess amount of socks due to the broadcasting broadcasting job has really improved during increase the sock, uh, inventory around here. So I'm, I'm good with wearing out or wearing through a couple pairs, uh, because I won't throw them away otherwise. And, um, I just can't bring myself to go into my sock drawer and and weed them out. So I'm going to wear them out. Uh, on the way home, we drove by the ice cream store and I said, do you want ice cream? You said on social media, you did. Let's go in here and get you some ice cream. So we pulled in there. She's like, no, 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 let's not do it. I'm like, no, we're going in. We're getting your ice cream. We pulled up to the place and there's nine cars in the drive-in. There's nobody standing at the window. Um, and so I said, I'm going to run over there and get it. And, uh, so I jumped out of the car and walked over to the window and they had these little splash guards, Velcroed up there and stuff. And so I told the lady my order and, um, got in the car and we went home. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, she wanted It was vanilla ice cream with Oreo cookie crumbles in there. It's very good. Good choice. Yeah.
4: All right, Scott Hamilton, um, he wants to know if you've had the chance to watch the Formula One series on Netflix and do you think NASCAR should do something similar? He says he found it interesting and actually piqued his interest in F1.
0: Yeah, I haven't watched that. Um, yeah, I wish, uh, I mean, I got, I still need to watch Ford versus Ferrari. I still need, you know, I definitely need to watch the F1 stuff last night we watched mr mom have you ever seen that movie Mm -hmm. uh it's basically like from the 80s early 80s um michael keaton i think is the lead actor wasn't he batman after uh, you know some years later but um mr mom great movie especially uh i watched it when i was a when i was a kid and uh a couple times since then but i haven't seen it as a dad seeing it as a dad is a really uh uh, it's, and Amy never seen it. And she liked it. It's kind of old and, and early 80s sort of quirky humor, but not a bad movie, Mr. Mom. We've been kind of nostalgic here lately for some reason around our house, and I've been watching a lot of older stuff. We watched a couple of Cheers episodes this morning when I got up for breakfast to on some Cheers.
4: That's yeah. awesome. I recommend Ford vs. Ferrari. Very good.
0: Yeah, I've heard it's been great. I just haven't got around to it.
4: Yeah. Uh, One more question. On the movie topic, um, Tyler King wants to know, if you could create your own racing movie, who would you cast to play the driver and what would it be about?
0: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I think um, when I think about movies and racing movies, I always lean toward the dirt short tracks or asphalt short tracks um, and making a movie about someone that you feel like you could, that could be you, or that could be your neighbor, right? Um, Making a movie about an individual who's relatable, who seems to have the same income uh, or, or the same style or, or, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit harder, I think, for people to uh, relate to some of the superstars, right? So making a movie about a superstar or about a big time NASCAR guy seems a bit more challenging. Plus getting the footage right, right, getting the in-car cameras and the, and the racing footage of a fictional character is difficult. I, uh, you could see that even way back when they tried to make Days of Thunder and they had to have the cars incorporated into the race and just the hoops that they would have to jump through to try to get some reasonable, decent footage that would match the storyline. Uh, whereas if you were going to make a film about a hometown hero or, you know, your next-door neighbor who's who's got a, you know, own – Got his family-owned business, or 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 is a plumber, who whatever he is, right? That drives his old car to dirt track and is just going through the, you know, typical struggles of life. That to me is a little more he's, uh, relatable and and a, and a story that I would like to hear. So I kind of like the, you know, kind of like Six Pack a little bit. Remember Six Pack? How he was kind of this normal guy. I mean, obviously he didn't end up in Cup racing. Kenny Rogers. There's, there's no way Leah knows anything about Six Pack. I know. I'm. I'm we, I know myself. what you're talking about, though, Dale. I, yeah,
4: it's on our list. We have a. We have a, a quarantine. I movie always list.
0: loved Six Pack until he got to the cup mm-hmm. level because then it became too fictional for me. Mm-hmm. Right mm-hmm. when he was at home or uh, running around driving his dirt car and they were stealing parts off the cars. Right. His, mm-hmm. you know, that, that. was. You know. And they were going into the honky tonk at the hotel right. and. Yeah you know, I wish it would have stayed there. Right. You know, I, you know, I wish the storyline would have ended in that same era, yeah. you know, that same, around that same type of race. Leah, I got a question. Can I be the one to give the last question? Yeah,
4: absolutely. So
0: Dale, you revealed
2: on Instagram this week that you guys uh, found out the sex of your second yeah. baby. Um, so after the camera turned off, what, what was your responses? What did you and Amy talk about now uh, that you know that you're going to have a baby girl?
0: Well, we have, so I'll say this, we have a name. Um, It took us forever to figure out Isla's name. It was like a, the very last few weeks of Amy's pregnancy is when we finally decided on a name, but now we have a name and it came really easy and, uh, and I uh, feel great about that. You know, I mean, you, you go through a lot of emotions about, you know, I know a lot of people were hoping that we were going to have a boy. And, um, and so, you, you, you know, you think about those things, and I'll be honest with you, and, and I know that a lot of people are going to – I don't know how people will receive this, but I was really not that – I was really not – I was worried. I'll say – I don't know. I gotta choose my words wisely here. I was super worried about having a son. Um, the expectations and, and the hope, you know, people's hopes of who he would become or might become were going to be just really unrealistic and, and challenging, and um, at times even unfair, maybe. And so, there was a part of me that was uh, a little nervous about that, you know, having a son and 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 being the focus of 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 how I raised him and who he was and who he was going to be. Um, and I'm sure I was overthinking the hell out of that, but there is a love and and a and a and a feeling about being the father of a daughter that i just i can't even hardly put it into words um I was you know i was, I is now just in the last probably several weeks constantly saying how much she loves me she's you know you know, she loves her daddy and loves to be up against her dad and, and wants her dad to put her, you know, tuck her in at night. And, um, there's, it's just the most amazing thing. And, uh, to have another, to have another dose of that ingredient in the household, I'm all about it. Right. And I can't, and then, so, I love, you know, Amy's great, Isla's great, and we're going to add to that. We're going to bring more of that into our home, and I just can't wait because it's made our home so amazing. Uh, me and Amy were doing great and having a blast, but Isla's been such an amazing addition to our home as far as the love and the family atmosphere and so forth that we experience together, and we're just going to increase that. Um, and the other thing, too, was I don't know when it happened. Maybe you remember, Mike, but – there's a point in the pregnancy where it dawns on you and you're like, now I can't wait to meet this person. Hmm. It doesn't start. It, 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 it Like when you find out you're pregnant, you don't feel that way right away. Right. You don't start going, Oh, come on, get here, get here, get here. I can't wait to meet you. I can't wait to meet you. Hurry, hurry, hurry. That's not what happens in the first few weeks or even first few months. But at some point it's just like a switch where you're like, all right, I'm out of patience. Who is this person? What do they look like? What are they going to sound like? What are they going to talk like? What are they going to do and how are they going to be different how are they going to look different and feel different and act different? You just can't wait. You start to get really impatient. And as soon as we got that test and learned of that information, it became real. It became, it, it became more human and, and, and the impatience showed up and, you know, now I'm starting to, you know, now I'm talking to it and, and, uh, trying to do all the things. Cause I, we, we did that with Isla. I tried to talk to Isla while she was inside Amy's belly and trying to, you know, if it matters, it matters. If it don't, it don't. But it, I think it helps if she recognizes that name cause or recognizes recognizing my voice. Cause when she comes, when she's delivered, right. She's going to go to this little table. And they're going to start cleaning her up and I'm going to be there talking to her. Right. And if she hears a, you know, she want her to hear a familiar voice when she's laying there going, what's going on? What is this So <laughs> Who's bright. This person? So bright. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so God. I try to talk, I'm starting to talk to her now because all this, you know, that all, that, that light switch happened as soon as we found out the, the sex, it's like, Oh, it's, it's a, it's a girl. It's a, it's a, it's a real human yeah. being. Right. Yeah. It's so cool.
2: Man, well, listen. I, I don't know who all wanted you to have a son, but I, I can speak for myself. I was, as a card-carrying member of the Two Daughter Club, yeah. I was happy. I was ecstatic when I found out that you were going to be in the club with me. Yeah. And so, um, I ain't mean, nothing like it, man. And I, I'm so happy for you and Amy. I'm, I'm happy for Isla. She's gonna be an awesome yeah. big sister. Um, right. it's, it's just gonna be fun man i can't yeah, wait it's god
0: yeah it's god's plan it's, yes. you know it's, it's what's intended for me and i'm 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 supposed to make sure that these two individuals become the best they can be and that's my role and um you know whatever the future holds if we we don't have any more kids or we do i don't know uh, and that's that I mean I'm just riding the ride man it's been amazing I can't wait to like it just rolls right out as soon as I think about this little girl that we're going to have, I just keep saying, it. I can't wait to meet her. I can't wait to meet her. Cause I remember when I, when I met Isla, it was just the best feeling ever. Yeah. So good. And, so and I can't trouble. wait for that again. And yeah.
4: That's awesome. Well, I am uh, in my thirties and I'm still daddy's little girl. So that will never change. <laughs> You're going right, to have that. You're going to have that for forever. I'm ready for
0: <laughs> double, t- double of that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. awesome.
4: All right, guys, that's it for today.
0: All right, I appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, appreciate Xfinity for sponsoring the Ask Junior portion of the show here on YouTube. Make sure you follow our YouTube channel and our social media channels at Dirty Mode Media. Great questions today, everybody.
4: Awesome.
1: Can't help but think of old Brew walking in with Rainbow Stew playing in the background with this sport coat going to kiss up on the pretty ladies in the honky tonk. Man, L- L- Leah, you got to do it. Got to do what? Go kiss ladies it's in the honky tonk. tonk.
0: Six-pack. No. <laughs> oh, it's on the list. I
4: can't find it anywhere. Last call. All
0: right, y'all. It's last call here on the, the Dale Jr. Download. Um, Want to tell you guys about all the Dirty Mo Media gear. Find all kinds of stuff at dirtymomedia.com. Use the discount code DJD10. That's DJD10 to get 10% off. A lot of cool gear from Dirty Mo Media at DirtyMoMedia.com. The Dale Jr. Foundation has um, a very cool event going on now, and I'm really excited about it this year. You know, the win Dale Jr.'s ride, we've been giving away Corvettes for the last several years. We've got quite the little cult put together with Corvettes, uh, new owners, and they all get together and enjoy hanging out. But we got a new deal this year. Uh, Better. better. No Corvette.
2: Better than Corvette. I
0: agree. It is better. A 2020 Chevy Silverado 2500 HD four-wheel drive crew cab LTZ. Get some of that. Plus. Oh, 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 yeah. yeah, It's a truck. All right. It's a truck. But what the kicker is, is there's a Keystone Outback Camper 300 series that comes along with it. So basically, we're going to give you all you need to be able to go camping in style with a brand new truck, brand new Silverado. Go to WendellJuniorsRide.com all right also we have another uh initiative going on that is equally as exciting this year you know the uh ride-alongs that we do each year we've done them at charlotte motor speedway for several years last year we went to darlington which was a real treat running that fence (laughs) um we're going to another legendary racetrack and this one is 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 one i'm really excited about how about a ride along imagine three laps with me at bristol motor speedway you're going to be in the cockpit on the passer side, taking laps at Bristol Motor Speedway, go to ridewithdelljr.com. ridewithdelljr.com to enter that raffle to get three laps with me at Bristol Motor Speedway. We're going to run some pretty fast laps around there, and I promise you I'll give you a thrill. Also go to uh, pledgeit.org slash relief. If you want to win some signed racing gloves for COVID-19 relief, We are halfway to our goal of $10,000. And if we reach our goal, I've promised to match it. That's PledgeIt.org slash Dale Jr. dash relief. PledgeIt.org slash Dale Jr. dash relief for some signed racing gloves for COVID-19 relief. The iRacing Pro Invitational Series this weekend is at Talladega Sunday, April 26th at 1 p.m., I'll be driving the number eight Walmart Fight Hunger Spark Change Hellman's Chevrolet. The paint scheme promotes Walmart's home delivery campaign, which started earlier this year to shift focus to acts of kindness and donations during the pandemic. All right, so that'll be the paint scheme this weekend at Talladega, this Sunday, 1 p.m., April 26th. Also, the Dell Jr. Download TV show, we're back on air, man. NBCSN on Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's the last call. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I certainly had a lot of fun listening to David Allen tell his stories. Mike, uh, Leah, Matthew, appreciate your guys' help this week coordinating and and Mike, you know, me and you not not reading the email. That's Matthew, good. Matthew, you yeah. steered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed Matthew, that. you steered. Yeah, you steered the conversation really well. Leah, you did a great job. Last junior, good show, everybody. This bit of bad was bad bad-ashery. was made by. Dirty Mo media. Dirty Mo.